Hello and welcome to Fundamentals, the podcast that explores pop culture one conversation at a time. I am your host, Harley. Joining me for this fascinating dive into the science fiction epic that is Terminator, it's film journalist Kat Hughes. Kat was kind enough to come onto the podcast and share her love for this iconic series of films. I should say up top, we are focusing primarily on Terminator 1 and 2 because, well, after all, they are the good ones. And Kat has so much knowledge and passion for them. It's just infectious. I really think you guys are going to enjoy this episode so much. I learned an awful lot about a series of films that I thought I kind of understood pretty well. But it turns out there's some themes in there. There's some character arcs and all kinds of amazing behind the scenes stuff that I had no idea about and was absolutely delighted to learn all about with the help of Kat. So without further ado... Let's just get straight to it. This is Terminator with Cat Hughes. Hello, Cat, and welcome to the Fundamentals podcast. Hi, Harley. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. So you've come to me with a fascinating topic. Uh, that is... Really, it's a Terminator franchise, but we're going to obviously focus really on the good ones, uh, yes. one and two. So I guess to kick us off, yeah, what was your introduction then to this series? So I remember watching Terminator 2 before Terminator, and ah. it would have been, it was it was literally the week that it premiered on Sky Movies. So oh, wow. this would have been back in like two, 1993, I imagine, 92, 93, depending on it. So mm. I would have been about seven, maybe eight, and... <laughs> I mean, I watched, I was bought by my mum and she was very keen into horror and things. And I watched a lot of films younger than I should have. I saw the Alien franchise when I was also seven and the wow. Predators when I was like, Predators when I was eight or nine. So <laughs> okay. Terminator was sort of like the way into, I think she sort of yeah. sussed how I was with that. And then was like, oh, she's fine. Let's chuck, go in front of all this other stuff as well. So mm. I remember watching, it was a Sunday afternoon and my mum was ironing and she put it on and I just... I just loved it because obviously mm. Terminator 2 is just this big like action spectacle and yeah. you know, it's like motorbikes and robots, but there's also a, like a child protagonist. So there yep. was there was that sort of element. And then I think it was like a year or so later that I got introduced to the Terminator. Yeah. And I just remember being very confused because he's the good guy in the sequel. Right. He's the bad guy in, in the first film. So mm. I saw it like the reverse to the original audiences. Um, and that one I enjoyed, mm. but that's the one that I've grown into. Oh, like okay. Terminator 2 hooked me. Yeah. And then Terminator, sort of more like my teenage years, I began to appreciate the the story and what it was doing a bit more. And now mm. I would I would hesitate I'd be hesitant to say, but it's probably just edging out Terminator 2 as my uh, as my preferred one. Ooh, okay. That's interesting. You know, it's one of those, I think given the first two especially that they are they're so sort of iconic in two different genres like the first one is very much horror based and the second one is more action and yeah i think it does sort of depend i guess on where your sensibilities lie right since which one you prefer and it's funny that you know james cameron managed to pull off the same thing with the alien franchise right he did the exact same thing of people debate over which one they prefer and, and again i think it's just purely down to what you prefer in in genre um, but yeah, I find that fascinating. So it's sort of going from there then, yeah, I guess this was a film that you just 
what kept going back to over and over again, I'm assuming. Yeah, it became my um my comfort film. Um, literally, whenever right. I was like, I had a lot of migraines when I was a kid, and whenever I was like off school sick with a migraine, they would be the videos that got put in. Um, it would be to- I think we had them both on one one cassette, so it would be right. one immediately into the other. So I'd sort of just like be on the sofa <laughs> asleep, sort of drifting in and out of in and out of Terminator films. Right, and yeah, I mean. Not even, I don't even think I'm exaggerating when I say that I've seen these films, mm. hundreds approaching like <laughs> over a thousand. I, I remember there was, when I was at secondary school, there was at least one summer where I watched one of them every night before bed. Wow. Because um, they just, it's because of the time period when each of them are set. They just feel mm. like summer films to me. Yeah, um, I the that. first one sort of the first one is definitely set in May because it's is explicitly mentioned. Mm-hmm. And you know, they're they're both set in California, which is, you know, perpetually sunny. So they just mm. have always sort of felt like summer films to me. So I did, like I say, I spent an entire summer watching watching one or the other. Right. Um yeah, to the point of when I when I had my toddler, um, I was induced. So I knew I had a date when I knew I was going to turn to the hospital. They told me that you're likely going to be waiting for hours. So we took the laptop and Terminator and Terminator Two along, of course, uh, to to watch <laughs> while I was while I was waiting to go into labour. She was a faster labour than we expected, so I only got about an hour and twenty minutes into Terminator before I was like, I can't cope anymore. Like this is too painful. Like get the film off. I can't hear it. <laughs> right. um, but yeah, they've they've always been like a, a sort of like a movie comforter to me to the to the point of when it came time to uh, birth another human, it was like I'm wow. going to need that. I just remember because my mum. When she had my sister, she was. This was like when Brookside was a big TV, was a big soap, uh-huh. and she insisted on them bringing a TV in so that she could watch Brookside. And I was like, "If my mom could watch Brookside, <laughs> then I'm going to watch Terminator." So, yeah, yeah, they've, fair enough. They've just they've always sort of been there as like that 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 comforter. Yeah, fascinating. So I, I wonder, like, how do you sort of keep coming back to a film that often then and not? get fed up with it what is it about them do you think that just keeps bringing you back to them i don't know i mean i think i'm one of those people that can just watch films if i like them i mean i also uh at infant school my mum will attest to i watch gremlins 2 on repeat like (laughs) it would finish and i'd be like again please i do like labyrinth jurassic park i'm just yeah i've just got one of those things that if i like something i really like it yeah um there's a there's a few films now where I have to sort of take a bit more of a break from, mm. but I mean, it's, it, it's similar to Jurassic Park, like Terminator mm. two. It's one of those films that's always on like ITV or ITV two or something. True. It's, True. it's, it's always on. And whenever we flick on and it's on mm. one, I can almost immediately tell you what the next line or sound <laughs> effect is going to be in some cases. Yeah. Um, and it's just because I watched it when I was so young. It's just something that it's just so comforting that it's I don't know. I don't know what it is that Cameron's done because Aliens is a, is another one of my favorites. I think he mm. just sort of tapped into to something that, that spoke to me. Yeah. Um, whether it be the story or the strong female protagonists, it just sort of hooked me and it's just become so comfortable that I can just watch it without being phased. Like Aliens, mm. I love, 
but I prefer from 20 minutes in when the Marines turn up sure. until about 20 minutes from the end when they they just he's just rescued Newt. Yeah. Just because it's quite long and seeing it that many times, mm. I'm sort of like, let's get to the action. Yeah. But Terminator, Terminator goes across at a really punchy pace. Mm-hmm. And Terminator 2, again, is slightly longer, but goes all guns blaring. Yeah. So I can just happily just sort of sit back. I think I've seen it so many times now that I don't have to focus on it. So it's just right. like, it's like listening to your favourite album. It's just like nice background noise. Right. Yeah, I could see that. And if it's something that has been there, especially if it's brought you comfort, you know, as you say, as a, as a child, that's the kind of things that we form such close bonds to that, yeah, we all have those nostalgic moments, don't we? And it will always keep us coming back to these things. So, yeah, I can understand that. I think it's really cool as well, especially when it's a, a series that has just become so iconic in cinema. Mm. You know, it's their literal game changers, right, in terms of what they've done for the industry. Yeah, I mean, 84, Cameron was a practical unknown. He'd been fired mm. from Piranha this morning and he decided that he was going to do it all on his own terms. I think the budget was something like $6 million, mm. which was super indie, low budget, especially for the time. Mm. And then the effect, I mean, the effects still still hold up on, on the whole to say it was 84. Mm. There's a lot of the stuff with the with the Terminator that, that still holds. And then, you know, he follows it up six, seven years later and he had like a hundred million budget. Yeah, yeah. But still, again, still managed to, with um, ILM, managed to create some special effects that in some respects are better than some of the stuff that we see today. True. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. I, I think I rewatched the second one like sometime last year and it still amazes me that like I said that the liquid metal in particular, like, a lot of people mm. point to that as what it was groundbreaking for one yeah. for another, as you say, it's, there's nothing that's kind of looked better since even in the, the own, its own franchise, yeah. like other designs that come along, you just go, ah, it's not as good as the, the T-1000, is it? It's just not, it's not the same. And I really like, cause I remember watching a, a behind the scenes thing. It, some of the effects include just cardboard cutouts of Robert Patrick. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they were like the start and end points were a cardboard cut out of him, how they wanted him to look. And then the computer guys sort of worked out the the blending mm. um, of the, the, you know, the liquid, the liquid metal sort of thing to then morph into it. It just, I just remember watching the the behind the scenes. It's quite because Robert Patrick sort of stands and then sort of steps behind yeah. this cardboard cut out of himself. And then again, steps back in front of it after they've after they swapped them over, and it's there was no green screen, blue screen. There was there was none of that back then, and mm. it just boggles my mind that it, you can look at something like that in Jurassic Park all these years mm. later and go, yeah, that's that's it, that's that's just as good. Yeah, and it's a kind of genre I think as well where it makes sense to push those boundaries, right? Because mm. the kind of thing that. James Cameron was coming up with here was it was original concept was my understanding and it's it's quite a high concept as well you know this idea of machines being sent back in time and this is deals with AI it deals with you know all this kind of stuff that yeah when you say right you want to achieve all of this on a six million dollar budget for your first film it's extremely ambitious yeah and he had to lose a lot of it there's Mm. a lot of elements that ended up in Terminator 2 that was supposed to be in Terminator so all of the stuff with Cyberdyne yeah. 
uh, with my, you know, where my Miles Dyson works, all of that stuff was supposed to be much more integral to Terminator, but he realized that there was there was just not the budget for it. So he sort of chopped it off, but didn't forget it and then bought it back. And then that in turn becomes a big cornerstone of the sequel story. Right. That makes sense. So in terms of um, developing your love, you mentioned earlier for the first one. So what, what about it has has grown for you? Well, I think when I, I mean, I was really young. So and I think a big aspect of Terminator is mm. this love story between Sarah and Kyle. Right. And as a as a kid, that just went completely over my head. Sure. You know, I mean, John Connor was probably my first crush. Yeah. But I did, like, in Terminator, they're so much older. But then as I was a teenager, mm. you know, Sarah's supposed to be 19. I imagine that, that Kyle's supposed to be a similar sort of age. Mm. And that sort of started to to stand out to me. And I will, I'm not a rom-com girl, but mm. I would say that like Kyle and Sarah are two of my sort of like famous, uh, like my favourite on-screen couples, you know. Mm. Them and Clarence and Alabama Whirly and Johnny Rico and Diz from Starship Troopers. Like I say, I'm, I'm right. not a rom-com. I'm not a rom-com <laughs> girl. Um, but there's, I know there's just there's something about that because obviously he's uh-huh. he's volunteered for this mission because he's fallen in love with her picture, mm. which can sound a little creepy mm. in 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 this time period. But in the you know in the eighties and stuff when it was made and when I was growing up, mm. it was just that like he's never met this woman, but he's prepared to die for her die for her even though he's never met her Mm. and then he meets her and they they fall in love and then unbeknownst to him he then becomes the father of the man who sent him back in time and then obviously builds into this whole paradox thing and yeah i love a good messed up paradox you know chicken and the egg (laughs) if if kyle hadn't gone back through time then the terminator wouldn't have come right and then there wouldn't be the arm for them to find to study to then create skynet so it i sort of like that that sort of paradox in a film yeah it's and it's very clever the way they as you say kind of build that into the sequel taking some of those concepts putting it into the second one and effectively creating its sort of a time loop that this is yeah. stuck in um i think it was quite clever of james cameron in many ways because it it kind of made it impossible to follow on from that film because it's like because especially with the way the second one ends it's it's kind of a closed loop you know yeah. like and that and it's the way it should have just been left but then everything else happened um afterwards you know yeah, there there was there is an alternate ending where it's a very cheesy alternate ending. Right. Where it's the future. It's again uh, book ending, the first one starting at the T two starting in twenty twenty nine. We're now in an mm. alt version of twenty twenty nine. And Sarah's on a park bench as a grandma watching John, who is a senator, play wow. with her grandchild. And it's all very like judgment day didn't happen, but John still, you know wanted to do the good fight and like he's gone into this political career and stuff but it was that definitely would have mm. made you can't really do any other sequels here this is definitely and i think yeah. the studios want because it's all it's all filmed and available to watch yeah but the um the studios obviously weren't happy with that so then they kept it like the unknown future rolls towards us yeah so i guess that was their their get around yeah well, I guess because they, they make so much money, right? It's, you know, 
yeah, they want to try and squeeze it for what it was worth. But I guess to kind of come back to the first one, though, yeah, well, it's funny. I've never heard anyone talk about the ro- the romantic relationship between those two lead characters. You're absolutely right, though. It, it is a central part of the story. It is a, it's a huge part of it. But it's not something that very many people talk about when they talk about the first film. Like I say, I I have think I guess I have a different leaning towards like my romantic uh, my romantic stories, yeah. and there's just there's th- sort of three key scenes to me. There's the mm-hmm. the parking lot scene where he's telling her about you know the Terminator and yeah. his upbringing and stuff, and then there's a scene under the underpass after they've just evaded evaded capture again and she goes to go to sleep and she asks him to like tell her a story and you get this future you go into like a flash forward and you see him and you see him look at this photograph of her Mm. and then they sort of like wake up and they're she's asleep on him and he's sort of like resting against her and it's quite a tender moment Mm. and then you get this like big scene um in the motel room Mm. where she's looking at all the scars on him and she's like saying, you know, like all this pain, mm. and he's like saying, like, you know, well, you can just disconnect it. And she, she very, she sort of turns around and says, like, "What? So you feel nothing?" And then he sort of uses that moment as this big like declaration of love. Yeah, he said, you know, like he doesn't feel the pain, or the physical pain of of war, but he's not, he's not a Terminator, he's not a robot, he's not yeah. shut off from his feelings. And I don't know, as a teenage girl, you know, that's what you want is some, you know, like attractive, <laughs> handsome man to, yeah. you know, protect you from from dangers and also be like, you know, I came across time for you. You know, I love you. I always have. Mm. So I don't know. I don't know. I mean, that's interesting. It really is. I think, again, you're absolutely right, because it is it is written into the, the film. And that's ob- mm. obviously an intention of, of James Cameron to have that central love story in it right because it it's something that and I'm, you can speak more to this because i'm not really a horror expert but my understanding for a lot of these kind of movies that you know i, I almost class this i know as people say it's like a slasher film i feel like it's kind of a monster film as well like you know there's got this thing coming after them and a lot of movies horror movies that do that kind of stuff the ones that i think fall down are often the ones that really struggle to write protagonists and, and people that you actually care about. So when they're in peril, mm. you're just kind of like, eh, who cares? Whereas this seems to be, there's a lot more focus on that. Like that was clear that James Cameron didn't want to make that mistake and wanted to give you something to root for, to, you know, some yeah. reason for them to get away from the big Terminator. Yeah. And I mean, Sarah is like, she's a completely relatable character. Right. You know, we we meet her and she's, She's a waitress and we see her at work and, you know, there's a lovely kid that puts a scoop of ice cream in the pocket of a waitress, of a a uniform. (laughs) And anybody that's worked in like hospitality and that will sort of have similar sort of experiences of like customers that that do that sort of thing. And then, you know, we see her, she's a student, she's living with, with her best friend. They're about to go out partying. She gets stood up. Mm. Um, So, you know, she takes herself to the cinema and then obviously all the while she's sort of seeing on the news that women with her name are being killed. So you sort of, you start to get concerned for her because you know that she has the same name and obviously well, something's going to happen here. Mm. But she, even when she's, you know, presented with it, the information from Kyle, she she's like, me, I'm not the mother of the future. You know, I can't even balance my own checkbook. You know, she's, yeah. 
she's entirely relatable to anybody of of that age you know suddenly being told like you're the mother of the future mm. you know that's that's a lot to take on at like 19 20 years old yeah but she yeah she's <laughs> she is like your your every woman sort of character that you can relate to and then think like well what would i do if that happened if that right. happened to me and it, it is you know it, it's very clever from cameron to create that because like you say these mm. characters in these films are normally so or historically were so 2d and yeah. Yeah. wishy-washy and she could have just been a massive damsel i mean obviously part of a big part of her role in the first one is to be the damsel and then there's the big transformation in the second one but as the film progresses, you see her change. You see her take on that strength to the point of at the end, she's the one carrying an injured Kyle. She's the one telling him, you know, on your feet, soldier, like, come on, we've got to do this. Mm. Until eventually he he dies and she's left alone to take on this Terminator. Yeah. And you, it's that you can believe that through the journey that she, we've seen her go on, you believe that she is at that point and ready to take it down. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's an it's an earned victory at the end for sure. Like you say, a huge character arc, and I feel like it's also kind of it's one of those things of manifesting destiny in a way. Like the mm. fact that Carl keeps telling her throughout the film, like you're this powerful woman. You know, you've raised the future. You know, leader of the human resistance. You obviously have a strong character. He told me all these stories about you, but she's not that person yet. Yeah, but it's that really lovely thing of him just constantly reinforcing that like no you are this person to the point where like you say at the end she's put in that situation and then that inner strength comes out which i think is yeah it's quite a nice twist on the old damsel in distress story for sure yeah and as as a as a girl that grew up in a in a single parent matriarch it was you know nice to see that strong sort of female character right on the screen like it wasn't until i was much older that i realized that there was only a difference between a man and a woman because mm. i grew up as i grew up with my mum and all of the media that i consumed was strong female roles so i got mm. sort of very confused <laughs> and suddenly i got out into the world and it's like what why are you trying to tell me that i can't do that because yeah like, i can because there's no difference mm. yeah that's a really awesome message that's baked into this this first film for sure and yeah, and I imagine as someone who's into your horror then that, that you sort of come to appreciate the style and the way it's shot and everything that Cameron was trying to do with that first one to do things like, you know, building tension and dread and things like that. Yeah, because, I mean, he definitely set out to make a horror film and it yeah. wasn't until the reviews came in that he realised that he'd perhaps made a film that had a few more action elements than he right. anticipated to. And it was sort of that that then pushed him down the action route because of the feedback that he got but mm -hmm. yeah it, it does a really good job sort of mentioned of building up this this dread of why are all these women mm. being murdered all with the same name mm. and you know you saw you see the police trying to sort of do something about it but almost seeing it as a joke in some ways you know whenever we cut to the to the police they're having a bit of banter it's like why is no one taking all these deaths a bit more seriously yeah and and even i mean kyle himself you know the first meeting you know she's seen all this stuff on the news that women are being killed and she sees him following her yeah. and yeah. that's you know that that's a nice sort of extended scene of tension so when she's like oh, he's following me i'm going to go into this bar and then she goes to the 
and she sits down and she looks and he's there mm. and you know her focus is on on him not not arnie like the mm. audience know that it's arnie who's going around pe- shooting people we don't know much about kyle mm. so there is that sort of thing where we're with sarah going do we trust him do we not trust him mm. and it's always that it's always that he's well he's at least the lesser of the two evils yeah because we haven't seen him kill anybody yet yeah but that's it but like you say at that point it's still a bit ambiguous which it's great it leads to a really interesting reveal and i'd yeah it's something again i'm not a huge person into that genre but i do find it really effective for that um and yeah i needed to hold the whole you mentioned the scene at the end of the film where it's kind of half a terminator essentially you know like crawling towards her and she's desperately trying to get away and like I find that just terrifying the way that's all done. And it's just this slow, horrible, creepy thing that's like dragging itself towards her. And again, all of this stuff that he builds, these set pieces are just, I think, really, really effective. Yeah. And it's the, um, excuse me, it's the, um, the bit where she gets injured. Yes. In the leg, she gets some shrapnel in her leg and then she just pulls it out. Yeah. Which is a, a classic horror film sort of sequence right but it's just gross yeah <laughs> it, just, it, just, it just it looks painful yeah you know it's not because it's not real mm. but she sells it so well yeah no she really really does um and what would you get i guess what do you sort of think about the fact that this is i think arguably arnie's biggest role right because you obviously wants to become like the biggest movie star ever but i think around this time he was he was pretty much an unknown i think he'd done Maybe like Hercules in New York and a couple of other weird things like that. And this was his like first proper one. <laughs> He'd been Conan. That's right. He'd been Conan. Yes. Yeah. He'd been Conan and they had to delay the filming of Terminator by nine months so that he could do Barbarian. Okay. But he still wasn't a particularly big name. Mm. I don't think the Conan films did <clears throat> massively, massively well. Um, but yeah, it was this role that just set him off into the stratosphere. Yeah. And then Terminator 2 just made it even worse sort of thing. You know, he <laughs> he did Terminator. <laughs> and then obviously he followed that up a few years later. He was in Predator. Yeah. And he had a few other films, but then he came back for Terminator 2. And that was the one that sort of showed that he could have a fun side as well. Mm. Because... Terminator, he's obviously a machine with you know no no feelings or anything. Predator, he's he's not the comedy relief. He's no. the he's a stern leader and hero. And then in Terminator 2, he shows that he can like be funny mm. with this kid. Yeah. I mean, I guess I guess Commando had been in the middle, mm. and you know, the, the opening titles of Commando are Mm. Oh, hilarious um but it was yeah it was it was this role that obviously everybody knows him for to the point of when he he went into politics he used the governator as yeah. you know as his thing it was all all leading back to mm. back to this role it's you know i'm not sure how many actors would be thrilled that a emotionless android was <laughs> deemed your best role but it, sure, it works sure. you know it does and i'm I've, I've sort of 
read up a few interviews with him and like talking about doing the role and it's one that I think on paper it's easy to write off as like an easy acting role you know you think oh he's not got to do much he's just got to walk around looking serious mm. but he took some interesting steps you know I know that he had some like military training and stuff like he understood how to use a weapon he sort of he did something that I thought was quite method acty apparently in the first film where like he didn't really speak to um the other cast members because he was like well why would I I'm you know I'm supposed to be this robot I'm not supposed to have a relationship with them which meant that he could be a bit more standoffish or aloof with them in scenes because he didn't really know them which I actually thought was kind of effective as well it's just little things like that where you think well at least he's taken it seriously in his first major role and it and it works to be fair he's quite terrifying in the first film yeah and he has but he has barely any lines yeah but he is still performing mm. you know he's yeah 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 it, it's the subtlety of movement because a machine is obviously as economical as it as it can be that that's how they work yes so his movements are very considered which you know comes across i mean i'm not like i saw this film when i was so young Mm. that i wasn't entirely convinced that he wasn't the terminator right (laughs) and i remember like there being that story like when he had had a heart operation having a a pig a pig yes heart thing put on a pig valve put on his heart yeah yeah and I just remember thinking, like, well, yeah, because well, he's a robot, so, you know. <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah, what's the point? It's just a bunch of wires. <laughs> yeah, it took me a long time to sort of, like, realise that he, you know, he was a person and not a robot. But that's it. It's because I was so young. You yeah. know, it's, it's what happens when you're young. That's a good performance then, clearly. Um, and, he, and he gets the line that ultimately seals the show as well, which is kind of hilarious because if I read it correctly, I think no one really thought anything of the words i'll be back but they just became like this weird pop cultural zeitgeist thing that everyone just latched onto yeah i think in the script it was i'll come back yeah and arnie decided that again the machine's trying to be efficient yes it's better if i say this and i think him and james cameron actually got into a big row on set with cameron being you know like you didn't write this do you know i don't you know I don't do your acting, don't you do my writing? But then yeah, it's become like one of his one of his trademark trademark lines, mm. which you know, I don't think many actors have these days. I think that's something that's kind of lost. Yeah. Lost over the years, which is a shame. But it's like is that when you rewatch it, that, <laughs> that's the line that you're waiting for now. Is, you know, when he gets to the police, you know, they go, like, oh, you come back, you know, like, I'll be back. You're like, you're waiting for yeah. that line. And it, it is in it's it's such a throwaway line as well yeah. in, in the scene that it is. He's yeah. just like, I'll be back. And then he goes and gets a truck and then bursts into the into the police station. Mm. But the line itself, it's not like some big cool setup like in some of his later films, you know, like Commando, you know, like stick around, let off some steam. Right. It's not set up even Hasta La Vista in in T2. Yeah. It's not set up like that at all. It's it's literally just uh I'll come back. Mm. yeah and yeah it's it is odd how that's the one but i mean he only has like 12 like 12 to 14 lines in the film so wow well there you go yeah as you say it's i guess yeah mostly a physical performance so makes sense but uh yeah then, sorry go on i was just gonna say he's, he's also i think he's only in about like 20 minutes maybe at best and yeah right. he was the one 
that has this epic career off of. I mean, you look at mm. Linda Hamilton and and Michael Bean, and you would, on paper, looking at the publicity and stuff, like in the lead up to the film and them being like the ones you spend the most time with, you would assume that they would be the ones to go and have big careers. But yeah, it was it was Arnie that sort of took it took it and ran. Yeah, I wonder though, with sort of that, and you look at his career afterwards, he sort of was somebody that, I guess you could say, I don't want to sound insensitive, but it feels like you had an angle with him or, you know, like a gimmick because he was a bodybuilder. You know, he was a larger than life man in more ways than one. It was, it was something you could sell to audiences, you know, and, and I feel like he was somebody that was very aware of that you know, leading into his roles, as you mentioned, like Predator Commando and so on and so forth. Like everything he does after that is very like, I think his approach to picking movies was something along the lines of like, well, what will the poster look like? You know, that was his yeah. mentality of like, how do I basically sell myself? Um, and it worked to his credit. And But I can't imagine that, yeah, Michael Bean or Linda Hamilton had the same mindset with their careers moving forward. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's it's a shame in some ways that they didn't get a little bit more traction. I agree. Um, yeah, but it's it was a different time, and it, it was the era of the movie star. It was sort of like that. Mm. We'd we'd had it in like the fifties and sixties with like the the Rat Pack and stuff. Yeah, and the eighties was the eighties was again when there was this big wave. There was obviously there was the Rat Pack who were in all the teen films, mm-hmm. and then out of the eighties, you got your. Arnie, your Sly, your mm-hmm. Bruce Willis. Yeah. That was like the, the, it was the era of the action hero. So I guess, although he's not an action hero in this, he's, mm. he's, the, he's the opposite. Yeah. But yeah, the, then you very much led into that, into the second one. So, um, yeah, I mean, speaking of the, the second one, what, what do you think about it then that sort of helped it to endure all these years later? Because these are films that people look at. Um, and I imagine there's many people listening to this who are like you, who could just endlessly rewatch these and, you know, and I feel like they've never been top. So what do you think it is about them then that kind of help, keeps them held up in that high esteem? Well, I think one aspect is, you know, that the, the story isn't one, although it's set in particular times, you know, the first one's set in the eighties and the second one's set in the nineties. The story uh. is almost universal. You know, we've always had, a fear of machines, even though mm-hmm. we're reliant on them. And that's just something that becomes more and more prominent the the further into, into the world we get because right. we become more, you know, I mean, the 90s, you know, the 80s, what the, the internet existed like in a room somewhere. Yeah. And you get a massive, <clears throat> massive big server, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the norm. By the 90s, you've started to get early 90s you've got cell phones and stuff but now you know we have both in the palm of our hands you know we have a computer and a phone there that we carry around that we can you know we can go on the internet we can communicate with you know we've got assistants you know we've got alexas we've got googles who can do tasks for us is that we become the more we become reliant on them the more something like terminator starts to become tangible and really you know you see yeah military videos of like oh we've got this robot that can do this now 
or you know japan have made you know this this robot that you know can walk in this way or can you know it can talk it can beat the best chess master mm. at chess yeah you know, it's a whole like it's like um ex machina it's that whole yeah terrifying thing of you know is that how humanity dies you know mm. are we just replaced by these more efficient and better machines that mm. aren't led by emotion and I think that's something that even if you weren't around the Terminator films the first time around, you can watch them. Yeah, they'll be dated fashion or whatever. But when you drill mm. down into that story, it is like that whole like what if and how close to we, how close are we to something like Judgment Day? Right. Yeah, it's certainly the concepts and have aged very well over time, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. And I mean, the second one especially, it's just fun. You know, it's... Yeah. Yeah, that is true. As you said at the start, it's it's definitely the one that leans more on the action and gives all of the returning cast a lot more to do in this one because it's bigger budget and it's a lot more to play around with, I guess. Yeah, it's you know, it's your like staple summer blockbuster. Yeah. Or like an old school staple staple blockbuster. You know, it has you know, action and drama and emotion and special effects and buildings being blown up and that's it's what you want out of your you know out of your popcorn film mm. yeah definitely i think some of the action set pieces you can go and read stories behind like how they did some of them and it's wild it's absolutely wild you know like driving a lorry down a, into the sort of the sewers pipes and all of that stuff and flying the helicopter uh along the the highway i've, I've heard that that was one of those stunts that they did without permission it was just like can we do this we can but we shouldn't but we're going to and it yeah, it looks they, incredible they they, <laughs> they 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 genuinely did blow a building up yeah yeah um it's it's covered in one of the behind the scenes and there's great there's the uh classic joker who after the building's gone up and they filmed it right like, did we have tape in the camera you know, your, mm. your, your classic sort of joker, but it was that was the, the era where you wanted to blow a building up. You just went and blew a building up. You're right, yeah. This day and age, it would just be, let's get some green screen, let's get some computer guys at it. Oh, look, that building just blew up. But back then, it was this big thing of, mm. yeah, we're just going to blow this massive building up, which, <laughs> I don't know, it's just, it's weird that that's how, you know, that's how practical things used to be. Yeah, but as well, the best thing about it, I find, is all of those set pieces make sense in the film as well. It never feels sort of arbitrary or like they just, you know, they've had to make a bit of a left turn to try and get there. It's It just feels like the next progression of things. Well, they're both, they're both essentially road movies as well as, as well as whatever true, else they are. True, true. They're, they're, road, they're road movies, you know, they, there's that constant propulsion in both of them because it's essentially a chase film. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's just them going from one stop to the next stop to the to the other stop. Mm. Yeah, and I, I like this as well the fact that it comes with the big twist. Um, you know, I, I had I sort of introduced my wife to this for the first time last year, and I think she'd seen bits of the first one and she kind of knew that the rough outlines of it. So coming into this second one, 
part of me just expected, oh yeah, she's going to know the twist because everyone knows the twist now. Yeah. But she had no idea. And it was a really fun moment for her to go, hang on a second. I thought Arnie was a bad guy. And I'm like, not in this one. And <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things of, it's just great. It was great seeing that for the first time. And I just, it made me think back to when this must have come out in the cinema. What a great feeling that must have been for James Cameron, knowing that there would have been like millions of people around the world just going, what? And getting yeah. that for the first time. And then it just completely changes the tone of the film. Yeah, because obviously everybody is, is <clears throat> I say I watched them the other way around, but right. original, <laughs> original, original. So I was very confused, like why they scared of him. Yeah, yeah. Um, but for, for obviously, you say original audiences, they would have been with Sarah Connor. You know, they would right. have been like, yeah, he's here. People are going to start dying. Like, mm. we need to stop this thing. And there's that great scene where they go to rescue her and she's sort of like, she's running away from the, the hospital mid-escape and she sees him and then she starts scrambling back. And it's only when she sees John that she realises that it's that it's okay. And yeah. I think a lot, of, a lot of original audience members would have probably taken until around about then themselves yeah. when suddenly confronted with... Because you know, I guess for, for the audience, it, it's probably more the, the mall scene, you know, where mm. you've got John in the middle. And you've got T-1000, you know, police officer one way. And then you've got Arnie with his guns and roses the mm. the other way. And you're fully expecting, well, he's a policeman. Surely he's yeah. the right one. And because John's obviously been conditioned, he's been raised to to know that, I guess, Sarah's told him roughly what he, you know, what the Terminator looks like. Yeah. So he can see that he's cautious and he has to make that split decision of which man with a gun pointed at him he believes and he he obviously he chooses the right one mm. um but i guess it's that would have been the moment when the original audience went oh oh so he's the good guy this time yeah and okay well he was really hard to kill mm -hmm. and he's a good guy that must mean that so what's how bad is this bad guy yeah that's true yeah it raises the stakes for for your villain then so you're like oh oh, okay, this is something new. And, you know, and what they do with that, as we mentioned earlier, the whole liquid metal thing, I think as a concept is absolutely awesome. The fact that they pulled it off is even more incredible. Um, and it just makes him absolutely terrifying. You know, he just seems, feels unstoppable for the most part. And also he can be anybody because that's yes. the, other, the other part of it. He, you know, mm -hmm. it's it's a, a mimetic polyalloy, so it can become anything of equal equal size mm -hmm. and and so we you know, we have the the scene on the phone between john and his foster his, his foster mother yeah and then it's only at the end of the call that the reveal is oh that's a t1000 yeah which means he's he's killed her we've just seen it mm. kill his stepdad uh or his face foster dad mm. and then throughout the film you know there's the the bit in the the hospital where he becomes one of the <clears throat> one of the guards at the at the hospital mm. and until at the you know the end he becomes sarah yeah 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 and there's there's that great scene where john has to work out which one's his mum and obviously his mum is the one that's telling him to you know move out of the way so that she can yeah kill so that she can kill it um but it's it, that is a is a big part of its fear factor. I think is that it could be 
anything or anybody and you wouldn't know until it was too late. No, yeah, very true. Um, and even its confrontations with with Arnie, like the, the physicality between the two of them, the way they like they do all their fights together when they're just throwing each other around, I think adds to that as well. It gives the weight mm. and the impact of like, oh no, it's also really strong. <laughs> we know how big and strong Arnold's Terminator is, but this is like, oh, he's, he's keeping up. So it also makes him another, you know, very uh, palpable threat in that way, right? Because you're like, oh, he's he's a match for this as well. <laughs> and I think he, I think he just he just comes off as creepier because yes, yeah. he as much as as much as <clears throat> the Terminator was pretty silent in the first film. Mm. Robert Patrick is so silent in this. He's almost he's almost like cat like in in a lot of yeah. ways. Like a lot of his his movements again. He's he's very fluid. Mm. with his with his range of motions and just like little head tilts and stuff during the the fight scenes yeah uh, you know like it's just like a, like he like wags his finger as like a no yeah so there's just something like really menacing about that he he feels cold like i didn't i didn't trust again i didn't trust robert patrick for years like he <laughs> i love the x-files and he turns up in he turns up in one of the latest seasons of the x-files and you're supposed to trust him that like, i won't trust that man yeah I just won't trust him. Just, you're waiting for the shoe to drop. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, he's obviously, there's obviously going to be, I mean, a lot of people betrayed Baldwin Scully, but I was like, he's, surely he has to be because he was, mm. he was that, but he does, he gives such a, a creepy performance. And I mean, why Todd and Janelle don't question him at all when he turns up and he's asking them, mm. what, okay, the, yeah, are you the legal guardians? Fair enough. <laughs> but then when it's like, you have a photograph of him, yeah. Can I keep it? It's like, well, yeah. you're just going to give this strange man <laughs> yeah. a picture of the kid that you're, you're in charge of. Yeah. But like, I, mean, I guess it was a different time, but mm. it just, it's just, it's not stuff that would be said. And it just, it's, there's an otherness to him that, that is really creepy. True. Yeah. And I feel like his tone of voice doesn't shift much either throughout the whole film. Yeah. Like it, it pretty much stays monotone throughout the whole thing, which is, I think, adds to that creepiness for sure. Yeah. And it's like he's, he's, it's like he's putting on this persona of yeah. being this like friendly police officer, or whatever, you know, there's like the say that's a nice bike, but even... Mm even that has this creepy undertone. And, you know, we know that that means that, you know, the next time we see him, he's on a bike, well, that person's been killed. Yeah. Yeah. And it is. It, it's this weird, it's a weird thing to see someone that we've been, a police officer that we've been conditioned to to trust implicitly is suddenly the villain. And I guess True. Sort of looking, looking back now, it, it, I guess it has a, a whole new sort of prominence to mm. to it because you know there's been a lot of controversy within you know police forces especially in america mm. and and this was almost like a, an early an early example of yeah they're not always the the right person to trust i wonder if that was something james cameron was perhaps thinking about when putting this together possibly yeah, I mean, well, it was the early. I can't remember when Rodney King was, but I think it was sort of around about that sort of yeah sort of time. So it, it might have seeped in in mm. some sort of unconscious, unconscious way. But I just it's it's like it's a double flip. It's yeah. this is the villain from the first film is now the hero, and this is the policeman, but he's the villain. Yeah, it's it's very it's very clever. I mean, how how that man thinks up the stuff because you know, he also. 
designed the look of the Terminators mm. and he did the same with the Alien Queen. You know, he he's an artist and a writer mm. and a director. It's he's just one of those sick and talented people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it is just that thing, isn't it, as well of following up sequels. I think for for any movie is very difficult at the best of times. So to do it and to absolutely knock it out of the park, you know, with a bigger budget and going into different genres and you've got all these twists and turns that you've put in in the story, you think it could have been very easy for him to put a foot wrong and just make it an absolute mess. Yeah. I mean, it, it obviously had previous with reinventing Alien, the Alien franchise. Mm-hmm. But to, you know, to do it once is you know, hard enough, but then yeah. to do it twice is ridiculous and i think you know i know there's a lot of negative stuff about avatar out in the world but mm. i don't think you can discount a cameron sequel you know <laughs> no not at all and, I, and i'm one of those people like i just think that yeah, was a good film i enjoyed the first one I and mean, let's be honest it's the highest grossing film like there's a, yeah. there's a reason why I, I do think that whole internet discussion of people trying to you know, say, oh, it's it's not that good, or I think it's the anti-cool brigade coming out and trying to be contrarian, and it's like, oh, shut up. Everybody watch the movie. And like you said, James Cameron has got an amazing track record when it comes to sequels, so ah, I'm here for it. Let's just see what he does. I mean, he, he's an innovator as well. I think that's something mm-hmm. I've learned from listening to stuff about particularly these first two films was he was somebody that was very involved with the making of and you know would even build cameras and things like that. And to what you said earlier, would try and find a way to use the budget that he was given in the most effective way and get as yeah. much of it on screen as possible. Yeah, I mean, there was a great there was a great scene from Terminator 2 that they had to cut because of budget, and that was set in the future. And it was on the day that they'd defeated Skynet. And right. it was the the sequence where John sends Kyle back through time. Oh, okay. Um, that was all scripted and stuff. I've got the the novelizations and the mm. um, <clears throat> original script, and it's in there. And it's this great scene of this like forty year old man sending this twenty year old man <laughs> back through time, knowing that it's his father. Yeah, but he can't say anything because yeah. that will affect affect things. Um, and then Kyle goes back through time, and then there's some other like guards who are around or whatever. And they're like, oh, he's a brave man. And then John's like, he's my father. And then mm. like you sort of see like his troops be like, what? Like, yeah. <laughs> but it had a lot, you know, he had a lot of them sneaking into the facility and stuff. And it would have it would have looked great on screen. Mm. But again, budget constraints. He sort of he's he's a storyteller who can who can edit. I mean, I think it's something that both Aliens and Terminator 2, they're mm. both great films, but their director's cuts are equally as good. Yeah. But you can see why he cut the scenes. Like when you watch them mm. as a director's cut, you're like, how would you ever lose these scenes? But you can you can see how like sometimes director's cuts are just like, yeah, completely understand what this isn't in there. Mm. This is boring, whatever. But even the bits in the director's cut give an entirely different perspective on Terminator 2. Right. Um, there's um, there's a there's a dream sequence um, with Sarah in the hospital where Kyle is in her dream. Yeah. And 
he's sort of bullying her like where's john he's all alone like yeah <clears throat> this is coming you know this this threat is coming um and it's sort of like she wakes up from that dream and that's what spurs the prison break or that the hospital break she's not in prison the hospital break um but in the normal cut it's just that she's just sort of decided that she's not got visitation rights so she's going to escape but there's a, there's a, it's really nice to sort of see those two characters back on screen. Yeah. And then later on, there's this whole sequence where they reset the Terminator switch. Yeah. Which is why he then starts learning and starts like joking and stuff with with John. Yeah, you, it's not necessarily missed in the in the theatrical version. You're just like, oh, he's spending this time around a kid and he's managed to like learn on its own. But there's this great scene where they're taking the the switch out. <clears throat> yeah. And then Sarah goes, Sarah pulls the chip out and then she goes to destroy it because she's still quite distrustful of this machine. Yeah, yeah. And you you see this big showdown between John and Sarah where he's like saying, well, like, if my own mother won't even listen to me, how do you expect anybody else to? Yeah. And it's that sort of like glimpse into this like future leader that he's going to become. Yeah. And I don't think there's many directors cuts of films which you sort of watch and can enjoy just as much as the original version. Normally True. it's like, oh, that was that was a nice little scene. That was a nice little nod. Mm. You know, you have something like Donnie Darko, which is like, why did he change that song for that that sequence? You know, right. why did you change that? Mm. <laughs> but but like the Terminator 2 director's cut is, you know, I, I sort of equally, equally love it. Yeah. And I, I think to your point, those scenes definitely give more context for characters mm. than... Yeah, I always felt, especially the one with the kind of you know standoff, as you say, between John and Sarah is really good because it's it's sort of addressing the feelings of the audience, you know, in that moment because yeah. we're very much in her in her shoes and thinking like, yeah, I don't know if I trust this thing and I don't know if if John's instincts here because he's he's a kid, has he got this right? And yeah. it's a very good way of of addressing all of that through those characters and and like you say, they obviously then the added touch of Arnie's character starts to learn things and that sort of explains those comedy beats um, a bit better. But yeah, I, I kind of like that for the most part, as you say, theatrical stuff. Cameron's obviously somebody that fights quite hard to get his vision on screen and then that's it. And I mean, what a vision, you know, to put together mm. and to explore all of that and to tie it all in quite neatly with everything that's established in the first one as well, I think is quite cool. Like the whole Cyberdyne stuff, I think's fascinating you know that introducing those characters and that sort of carry on from the first one i thought was very clever yeah it's a great the the introduction to dyson's a great sequence you know you sort of see him mm. <clears throat> you see an intern or something like running who's late and you know he needs to see dyson because he needs the key and then they're sort of like walking through mm. and he's like oh, i was wondering mr dyson you know you could tell me like you know where it came from and then you sort of see the arm and the chip mm. and you're like, oh, crap. Yeah, because yeah. <clears throat> they weren't they weren't destroyed. Yeah. And then, you know, you see you then you later you hear from the Terminator that Dyson's going to be responsible. And then Sarah becomes a Terminator mm. or wannabe Terminator herself, seeking to stop Judgment Day by killing, killing him. Yeah. Um, but this is, I think this is because I think I don't know if it was made today. I have to wonder if Miles would be as empathetic as he is. Mm. I think they would, like filmmakers, would probably make him a more generic villainy type. 
Yeah, but, you know, he is. I think you're he's right. Con- mm. He's confronted with this truth that he's basically like Sarah in the first one. Sarah's confronted with you know that you're the you know the mother of you know humanity, you're the savior of all mankind. Yeah, and he in, st- <clears throat> in turn is confronted with you are going to be responsible for the genocide of the entire human race. Yeah, and he instantly is like, right, let's stop this. Yeah. I think it's a great, because he's, he's only, you know, he's he's only sort of like a supporting character role, but I think Joe Morton does some really good stuff in that. And he has his own little arc. Yeah. You, know, you sort of meet him and then you see that he's ignoring his his wife and kids um, because he's so focused on this seductive, like, technology. Yeah. And then as soon as he realises, he's like, okay, we have to destroy it. And then things go wrong and he sacrifices his life in order to prevent this thing. I mean, he's only in like three, four scenes and he has mm. this really powerful arc, you know, the, yeah. the bit where you sort of see him, <clears throat> he's been all shot up and he's still holding the trigger. And then you go to him and you sort of, you see him sort of take his last breath and then he drops the thing and the building blows up. It's this really like powerful thing of like mm. redemption like he's he's seeking to correct mistakes that he hasn't made yeah. yet but yeah yeah he will and again it's back to this paradox thing which just hurts my head it, it does but you're right it's it's really really effective and i find that i always find that scene with sarah sort of breaking down and realizing that she's become the very thing she hates like yeah so effective and again linda hamilton just deserves more credit i think for that portrayal and it's such a such a heartbreaking and powerful moment when she kind of just realizes what what she's doing and um if like the nice touches of like the way that they dress her up and everything in all black and sort of you know there's a very there's a lot of stuff that they put in to really drive that point home but it's like you say super effective arc and turn from her and then and then yeah it leads nicely into dyson's flip as well which is completely understandable and i like what you said actually about the way that it would be portrayed today, I think you're absolutely spot on. I feel like filmmakers in general today tend to be very unkind and I think a bit too spiteful towards people that, that you know in charge of corporations. Um, yeah. To the point where they just end up becoming weird caricatures and sort of yeah. they don't really feel human. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the um, Jurassic World Dominion. That's yeah. a big criticism of that film, and I completely agree. Like the way that character's written is super weird, and but it's very common, very common. Yeah. And like you say, it's nice when you look back at a character like Dyson. You go, oh no, he is human. He is humanized. Yeah. Like it's, the film doesn't diminish what he's going to do, but it acknowledges that it's not necessarily out of place of just like cackling evil or yeah, you know, arrogance or it's, whatever else. But then, and and that's that's what like scientists and and people are. Yeah. you know, they're yeah they're exploring different avenues and different frontiers right and he's been you know given the one of the biggest mysteries that he can be given and he's determined to to unpick it right not realizing the implications that 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 would have yeah so he's he's just as much of a victim as as anybody else yeah as you say he gets he gets the arc in the end um which is really tragic i gotta say every time he goes i watch it i go like oh Oh no, he just he just learned. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, sort of going back to the to the scene between like John and Sarah where she she breaks down, mm. that's pretty much 
exactly the same timestamp as Kyle opening up to Sarah. Really? It's like, Uh... yeah, because obviously she's like, she's been cold and closed down towards John. It's very much like, are you hurt? You know, don't come here to rescue me. I can look after myself. You know, you almost got yourself killed. What are you, you know, she's, she's constantly sort of like cross with him. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know you can't do this, you can't risk yourself. Not even if you're too important. And it's only in in that moment that she sort of breaks down. And I think she she even says, you know, she she tells him that she she loves him. Yeah. And it it's maybe a couple of minutes out, but it's pretty much around the same same timestamp as that reveal in mm. um, the first film, which is obviously some intentional sorcery from Cameron. But yeah, very but very good, very clever and. I think all of this speaks to something that I feel like helps these films to endure, right? Is that underneath all the impressive, you know, action, all the impressive filmmaking side of it and the scope of it all, there are very human stories underneath it and there's yeah. stuff that we can all relate to. And it's sort of, you've brought out some really great points just in both films about the stuff that we can pick on and humanize with the central characters. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's, I think that's what makes a film good is when you can go back and analyze it and you can find so much mm. so much so many layers and different things to talk about you know you've got the whole portrayal of of motherhood and you know man versus machine right technology phobia you get the stuff with the police it's mm. there's, there's so much there to be explored in and written about and that's that's to me it's the sort of films that I enjoy where you can sort of go back. I mean, I'm not against, you know, uh, remove brain and sit back and, yeah. and watch it, watch a silly film. But mm. the ones that sort of really stick with me are the ones where you can start sort of chiseling away and, and find something mm. hidden under there. That's, that's more, got a bit more depth to it. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I just think even like the fact that by the end of this movie, you now care about a Terminator is really clever as well. That's another thing, just flipping it completely on its head. And yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, I definitely cried the first like few times. <laughs> and if it's been, if it's been a while between watches, yeah, the the thumbs up still. Oh, same. Still gets same. me. Yeah, it's like oh, it's it's like you you're there with John. Like no, don't go. Yeah. Stay, stay. You can be afraid. You know, it'll be all right. Yeah, but it needs to be done. And. I don't know. So I'm just realizing that <clears throat> maybe this had a bit more of an impact on me mm. as a child, that sort of enforcing my own sort of like outlook in some respects, where I can be a bit like, no, this needs to be done, so we just need to do it. Wow. And sort of okay. thinking like, maybe it was like you know, subconsciously, <laughs> sort of that like I can be quite, I can be quite pragmatic and stuff mm. when I need to be, and maybe it was it was that early early conditioning from from these films possibly yeah these things do have an impact i believe so yeah that's interesting there you go life lessons from terminator who knew yeah (laughs) (laughs) i was just wondering is there anything else you sort of wanted to bring up about it then or something that stands out to you um well i mean obviously these two are are great um Mm. what followed wasn't so i say i mean i was obsessed I was obsessed with these films. Mm. So when Terminator 3 came out, I was so excited that Terminator 3 was coming out. Yeah. And then I was very disappointed with it. Mm. And I think the thing that disappointed me most was 
that the director kept saying that he was a big Terminator fan. Right. And if you were if you were a Terminator fan, this was the film for you. Mm-hmm. And in the first three minutes of the film, it got a horrible fact wrong, and mm. that was it. I couldn't connect with the film anymore. They they tried to say that John is thirteen in Terminator Two. Mm. He's not thirteen in Terminator Two. He's ten in Terminator Two. Right. Which, which it. I mean, he is acting like he's thirteen. Sure. You know, it's. But the the whole the whole thing that Cameron set up in Terminator Two was, you know, he'd been raised from a child in this very adult world. Yeah. He'd been around guns. He'd been around machines. Sarah was training him. Mm. So the whole appeal of him is although he's 10, he seems older, he's an old soul sort of thing. Yeah, That's why Tim, his ginger mulleted head friend, right. follows him. Tim's clearly the old, he's clearly older, yeah. follows him because he senses that leadership in him. Yeah. And yeah, the fact that they're like, oh, yeah, he's 13. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna put like my Uber Terminator, <laughs> I'm gonna put my Uber Terminator hat, nerd hat on. Yeah. So the first one definitely happens in 84 because mm-hmm. in the opening monologue in Terminator 2 Sarah says it came after me in 84 yeah. before he was born we see her pregnant at the end so we know that he was born in 85 Yeah. we then see on the computer screen uh, the T-1000 looks up his record date of birth 28th February 1985 mm. for John to be 13 that means that Terminator 2 is happening in 1998 right? which is several months after August 29th 1997 which is Judgment Day <laughs> So, just the fact that the director was like, oh, yeah, if you're a fan, it's like, well, if you're a fan, how have you made such a mistake? Yeah. Yeah, No, in in fairness, yeah, it's one of those franchises, especially because it involves time travel. Yeah, getting stuff like that right is very important. So, absolutely fair. Absolutely fair. Yeah. So, that that one I did not like. I didn't mind Salvation. Mainly because I thought Anton Yelchin did a really good job as a as a young Kyle Reese. Like I saw a yes. lot of Michael Bean in his performance. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he was he was great. Genesis mm. is cosplay slash fiction. <laughs> I think is 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 the nice thing. Yeah. I think I think Jai Courtney did an okay job with Kyle Reese, mm-hmm. but he shouldn't have been cast because he's too big. Yeah. You know the whole point of Kyle is he's. You know, he literally says in the first film that he grew up starving. Yeah. I mean, get to Jack Courtney's size, you've eaten a lot of chicken. You know? Yeah. It's, yeah that's yeah. not something that... And then Dark Fate really disappointed me because mm. they unpicked everything I loved about Sarah Connor. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, I found that one to be the most interesting out of the lot. Because like, mm. It was nice to just see Linda Hamilton back on screen yeah. for sure. But I think you're right. It was trying too hard to like deconstruct her character. Yeah, I mean, the th- the thing that has always made Sarah is, and made her different from other action heroes, is her femininity yeah. and the fact that she is a mother. You know, that's the the whole point of Terminator is you you know you're going to be this mother, and in Terminator Two she is this mother, and she's this you know warrior mother that will do anything to protect her young. Yeah. So to then strip her of that. Yeah. She then becomes like all of the male counterparts to the point of in Dark Fate, mm. she's like borderline alcoholic and she's making wisecracks. It's like, yeah, this is a role that Bruce Willis could have played in the 90s. True. Very it's, true. It's very much it's very much that. 
Um, so I kind of hope that now they'll leave it alone. Mm. And so I mean, I, when I talk yeah. about them, I don't, I don't even talk about them as like terminal. I just call them by their subheadings. They're like yeah. rising machines, salvation, Genesis and, and, and dark. I Bates. think that's fair. I think that's fair. It's, it's a wild one, isn't it? Cause like, you know, we've obviously spent over an hour talking about the first two and why they work and how they were so just ahead of their time and all of this. And yeah, it does just seem so strange. It's this kind of franchise since then that's just been, people have tried to pick it up and run with it and just keep tripping over. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that James Cameron just hasn't been involved. Yeah. And, and I think that says a lot. It's kind of like, to me, it's like Spielberg with Jaws, you know, or something like that. It's like, yeah, yeah we did it. We got it right the first time. We don't need to keep coming back to this. And there is something about, other filmmakers and studios like i get it i get why you're coming back yeah. to it because you think it's a familiar franchise people love the first two movies we've got we've got arnie back for basically every one more or less you know so like if we do that people will come to the cinema and see it and people will but i think to your point yeah people are just going to be disappointed ultimately because they're going to look at it and go yeah but it's not as good as t1 or t2 is it it's not as good as the best that this has had to offer yeah. The only the only third one that there should have been mm. was them going into the future and you seeing the war and you seeing the end of the war. Yeah. And then yeah. maybe bringing the scene in where you see him send Kyle back through time. Yeah. That would have been cool. So so like salvation is sort of the closest to that, but True. then it did all this weird stuff with Sam Worthington's character. Yeah. Um, but that was that's sort of the the, the only the only way you can go stop saying it in the present and being like, oh, you thought you stopped it, but you didn't. Mm. Like, let's just go into the war. And I mean, mm. that would look great on screen, you know, with, <clears throat> if it looked that good, the little snippets we saw in the first two yeah. films, if they look that good then, imagine how how good they'd look now. How they did all that was pretty cool, right? Because there was a lot of miniatures, I think, and stuff like that for those scenes. Yeah, they did. I know they, they constructed some stuff in the desert right. and as of a few years ago some of that set still remained wow in the desert they just didn't bother removing it so there's some like random part mm. um in the like border like california mexican border that is like judgment day is like set up which <laughs> that's you know if you get lost wow. and you end up there then you're you're uh, you're gonna have that's a head trip, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're like what's happening? Cool. Uh, but I think I, the the only other thing um, would be that Terminator Two also birthed one of the best video game adaptations in Terminator Two, the arcade game. That's right. Okay. Mega Drive. Mm -hmm. So very old tech. <clears throat> very very old tech. As a shoot 'em up. Okay. Um, like the first four or five levels are set in the future. So like you're uh, shooting up Terminators and stuff. And then you you help John like get into Skynet and then it transports back in time. Mm. And you have three levels. Yeah, three levels in Terminator 2. Mm. So a lot of it is in the future. And then you get the scene at Cyberdyne, mm -hmm. and that's an amazing level because you just have to shoot absolutely everything because you're trying to destroy Cyberdyne. Sure. Um, there's the helicopter chase, 
uh, we've got the T-1000 attacking you, you've got to stop it from blowing your, sh- your truck up. Right. And then there's a bit in the steel mill where you have to, like, keep repeatedly shooting it till it falls down. But, yeah, me and, me and my mum played that game so much. And there's, there's I think it's level three. Uh-huh. It's in the future. And John is being chased, adult John is being chased in a Jeep. And there's um, HKs flying over and shooting. And then also endoskeletons like chasing as well and they come in we we clocked they come in a specific order and we spent a long time <laughs> handwriting out like left right left left right right brilliant down um so that we could actually manage to do the, <laughs> do the level i still i still remember the cheat <laughs> up down left right up down left right abc yeah um yeah. that that got you like nine lives instead of the the normal four ah, okay I don't, I don't, again, I don't think they make film game adaptations no. like they used to. Because no. there were so many, especially in the Mega Drive era, you had you had Robocop versus Terminator, which wasn't a film, but it was obviously a crossover of the two. It had levels from Terminator and levels from Robocop. Mm. It was a True Lies game. Mm. Um, then you had like your Disney stuff, like The Lion King, which is probably the hardest game ever invented. Right. Um, and it's... I've never completed it to this day. I remember okay. I got to the last level. I got to the last level, the final battle. You have to kill Scar three times on the... Three times? We had to like throw him off of the ledge like three times throughout the level. Right. And I got to the I got to the final one and then my Mega Drive just like overheated. But I was so close. <laughs> but this was like, this was like a full day. Yeah, yeah. Of playing because it's a really it's a really tricky game mm. but yeah I can't, i'm sort of like looking on you know like the the playstation like two three four five generation mm. and i don't really think there are many i just don't think they get made anymore i don't think they do no i i think we had this conversation not that long ago actually about video game adaptations yeah they do seem to have died off oddly i think because a lot of gaming companies now have original properties and things and they just mm. they just plow as much money into that and selling it but I agree with you. It is a shame. You get some films that come out and you think, I'd love to try a video game version of this, yeah. but maybe, who yeah, knows? Yeah, I guess the, the only one, I guess, is like the Lego. Yeah. The Lego yeah, ones, you, like Lego Star Wars true. and Lego Jurassic Park and stuff. That's the mm. the closest yeah. that, that they come. But mm. it's a massive shame, you know. There's there's some great films out there that would make... I, mean, I guess it was mm. Alien Isolation, which is sort of... Yeah, it's kind of a sequel, isn't it, I think? It had, I know it had like a downloadable content where you could be on the Nostromo, on the Nostromo mm. and players, players, the characters from the Nostromo. But that's, I guess that's probably as close as, as it gets yeah. is sort of an existing franchise releasing a new game. That's, that's not necessarily anything to do with the films. Yeah. Am I right in thinking there was um, like a kind of, show that happened with t2 afterwards in like theme parks that was sort of like an unofficial sequel yeah the terminator 2 uh t2 3d uh battle across time that's the one it was uh universal studios i think it played for like 10 years or something before it got retired so it was like i think it was like part of the studio's tour it's one of like the motion master things where you go in and you're like moving around the video does exist on youtube Uh uh-huh um and it was yeah it was john and arnie yeah that's it um jump into the future and they're like being chased by t1000 comes through and they're being chased and have to like fight Mm -hmm. fight everything off um and then there was a tv series as well the sarah connor chronicles which 
yeah follows on from sort of follows on from terminator 2 mm-hmm. has um lena healy from game of thrones and dread mm. is sarah connor thomas decker as <clears throat> john connor and then summer glau from firefly and serenity as cabron a female terminator who's been um sent back to protect him she's sort of infiltrated his school um and then one of the teachers is revealed to be a Terminator, and then she is the protected Terminator. Um, that had, oh, is he called Cromerati? And mm. the name of the actor escapes me. Garrett Dillahunt. Okay. Garrett Dillahunt was the Terminator. He He's in the Walking Dead spin off. Okay. Um, Fear, Fear the Walking Dead. He's been in a few seasons of that. Yeah. He was also in some sitcom, some sitcom a few years ago, and he's in he's in Looper as well. He's one of okay. the um, one of the guys. If you've seen Looper, he's a guy that turns up looking for looking for Joe, yeah. and he has a glass of water, and he's sort of like it's a really dramatic gulping of water because <laughs> Ryan Johnson loves his sound design. Yeah. Um, and then it has Shirley Manson from Garbage uh, okay. as. As the T one thousand and one, so she's like a supercomputer and also liquid metal. Like right, she can like hack into machines and stuff. Um, they bring in uh, Derek Reese, Kyle's brother. Okay, um, played by one of the actors, Brian Austin Green, who was in Nine Hundred Two One Zero. Right. Um, yeah, it, it has some episodes, which especially ones that are dealing with Kyle, because you sort of like see Sarah confronted with the brother, and I think there's even there's even an episode where she sees like Kyle as a child. Yeah, I think I've seen that. Yeah, they sort of like jump forward because there's a few like jump forwards in time, yeah, yeah, and they jump forward enough to like where she sees you know this man who will be who. Like, the love of her life essentially but he has like no idea who who she is yeah um i think the frustrating thing with that series is it got really good mm. in like the last 10 minutes of the last episode and then it got cancelled because <laughs> oh, no. they they jump forwards they eventually jump forwards into the middle of the wall right and then and it's it's, it's it also has this weird love story between john and cameron right and it's this whole thing where he's falling in love with a machine, but mm. he is destined to overthrow the machine. So it's like a parallel to his relationship with the T-800 and T-2, mm. but in a much more sinister way, because yeah. at the end of the day, she she's a machine and he's developing like feelings of love for her, which is a bit grey area. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of, yeah, trying yeah. to explore the more sort of i don't know interesting yeah like you say gray areas of of this whole concept <laughs> but yeah let's see it all all started obviously with james cameron mm. and has now expanded out in all these many different different ways does he have the rights back now i can't remember i think he i think he had he got some sort of credit yeah. for dark fate and because he had he had nothing for the other ones that's right so I think he might have it back. I mean, maybe when he's finished making his twenty thousand <laughs> Avatar films, he might he might go back. But I mean, I guess it would have to be like an aquatic Terminator yeah. because he's 
he's fallen in love with that ocean yeah. like just before Titanic and I don't think he's ever going to come yeah he's come away from he's that not now. he's not coming up to above sea level is he now <laughs> no no not at all well at least he's left us something really cool um to look after and or to enjoy rather and that's something that uh, always stands out to me with this as well as the score I think it's really cool when yeah. you look at those like very synthy 80s just incredible I mean that incredible that's so dramatic drum beat as well all of that just there's so much of this isn't there that is just legendary yeah, yeah. I mean Brad Brad Fidel did some some great works it, it's again it's all that the subtlety of almost easter eggs in a way yeah of Terminator that are hidden in Terminator 2 mm. if the, the the score does change obviously the Terminator it, it is very synthy and then in Terminator 2, they bring in all of these like strings and this big orchestral thing. And the opening titles, you've got like fire. Yeah. And it just builds into, into that intensity that this is going to be like a big epic film if this is what they've done with that score. And it's what you know, it's one of those that scores that everybody, you know, you, you hear duh, 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 <laughs> and you know, most people know that. It's Terminator. You see, it's like the you know the Jaws theme yeah, and stuff. It's yeah. one of those ones that's so that's so ingrained in in society. I just hope that by the time my daughter's old enough to watch mm. them, that it's like it's one of those things where it's like, what if she doesn't like them? Like, how am oh my I? Goodness. How am I? How am I supposed to parent her after that? <laughs> <laughs> how, are we, how are we supposed to? Where are we supposed to go from that? It's like. Because, you know, the, the fashion, Sarah especially, in the first one, is very 80s. Mm. Um, but there is a bit of a resurgence of a lot of this now. You know, like the yeah, 80s nostalgia at this moment in time is very strong. So and I think it's going to hold out for a couple of years. So you should be okay. Well, she'll be five when she's watching it at that point. <laughs> I think it might be a little... <laughs> she'll be younger than me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just have to hope that, like she but that i sort of i just sort of think that you know i watched alien mm. when i mean i watched it about 10 years later but mm. it still still has a sort of trying to think of you know, films that i have been put in front of when i was much older like i watched like nightmare on elm street when i was in my teen years mm. and so that was already that was like 15 15 years after after it had been released and okay. there'd be like scream and stuff were around. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I was born the same year that Terminator came out as well, which I think right into the kinship. 84 was a great year for films, but <laughs> Gremlins, Nightmare on Elm Street, yeah. um, Terminator, there's Ghostbusters. Mm -hmm. There's just so many that came out that year. So yeah. Yeah. It's, I tend to be how I work out how old I am. <laughs> is what anniversary is like Terminator and Gremlins and stuff. Well, how old are they now? Because there's always an article saying, oh, this film's released like 30. Oh, okay, that's how old I am. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Oh, fair, fair. I mean, it's... That's what happens, listeners. You know, you get to a certain age and you can only <laughs> tell your age by by what time a film was released. But it's, yes, like you say, it's a good uh, it's a good one to, to share a birthday with, I suppose. Yeah. Awesome. Well, listen, I, I've really enjoyed uh, talking to you about this, and I feel like I've learned learned a lot actually in terms of how to view these films and then some of the hidden stuff that's in them. And it's kind of why I love doing movie topics for this show every mm. now and then. Is yeah, you get to revisit something that 
I think we all feel like we're familiar with, but when you get somebody who's deeply passionate about it, you learn something and you, you see it from a completely different angle. So thank you for bringing that to the, to the show. You're welcome. So I think when you, when you grow up with something and it does, it sort of helps form your growing up, like I say, I look to Sarah as, you know, the strong, yeah. strong female character. And so I basically wanted to be Sarah Connor yeah. when, I, when I was younger, when I was growing up. And that does then make you look at a film in a different way. I think everybody has those films and books and things that you are that passionate, mm. that passionate about. And yeah. It's nice to be able to sort of like get some of this off of my chest. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. It's what we're all about here. So I guess to take us home uh, then, Kat, where could the good people find you and what you do? So I am on um, Letterboxd, Instagram, Twitter, at Gizmo Shikari. Um, primarily a, a film journalist with a, a strong leaning towards horror. And most of my work is on thehollywoodnews.com uh, at THMcom on Twitter. But if you go to my profile, there's link trees to, to everything that I've that I've done. Brilliant. Well, I'll make sure to chuck some of that in the show notes for people to go and check out. Um, and just thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. And there we have it. Thank you so much, Kat, for coming onto the podcast and sharing your love of this fascinating film franchise. I'm sure you guys will agree with me when I say that that was a truly insightful and really passionate conversation. I think Kat just brought so much there that I was completely unaware of, and I hope that you guys learned something too. Make sure that you go and check out the show notes where I've put in Kat's link tree and Twitter so you can keep up to date with her latest work, including all of the writing work that she does for a bunch of those various news article outlets that she mentions. They are some fantastic bits of writing and you should definitely keep up to date. So once again, link in the show notes to go and follow Kat and give her your support. Speaking of support, if you're enjoying this podcast and episode and you'd love to share it, then please make sure you do so. There are a couple of great ways to do it. Of course, word of mouth goes a really long way to helping out this podcast, but you can, of course, share it on your favorite social media platforms. I am on Instagram and Twitter, both at FundamentalsPod. So if you want to give us a retweet or a like or a share, whatever it is you want to do, then feel free to do so. I would greatly appreciate it. It is the best way to help podcasts grow. So any and all support you give goes a long way. You can also leave a lovely five-star review or rating on your favorite podcatcher. I know that every single podcast out there asks for five stars, but we do it for a very specific reason, and that's because it helps the podcast to grow. See, the better reviews and ratings that it gets, the more people will get to hear about it. And it really is as simple as just giving a click of the button. If you do that, please let me know, because I love to give people a massive thank you and shout out on the podcast whenever they're kind enough to leave five stars. So if you do, again, reach out to me. As I said, I'm on Instagram and Twitter, but you can also send me a good old-fashioned email However you choose to get in touch, I would love to hear from you and I would love to give you the credit that you deserve for supporting the podcast. And finally, there are two key ways to support this podcast financially if you would like to do so. There is a link in the show notes for both the coffee donation page, which is a direct page for donations. Again, a pound or more, anything you can give really helps. Or you can head over to TeePublic and get yourself a really awesome piece of merch with the podcast's wonderful logo. You can find all of that in the show notes. And as well, I should mention, you can find details for Alex, the artist who created said logo, if you'd like to commission him for your own graphics design. I can't recommend the guy enough. And that's really it. 
All that's left to say is just thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Make sure you like, subscribe, share it with friends, all that good stuff. It really, really helps. I will be back next week with a returning guest on a truly fascinating topic. So make sure that you are subscribed so that you do not miss out. Until then, take care. Go and watch the Terminator films. Let Kat know what you think. And I'll be back here next week with a brand new episode for you to enjoy. Take care.